Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Show The Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Bob Vila here with my home improvement tip of the day. You've heard the old saying, measure twice, cut once. When it comes to do-it-yourself projects, there couldn't be a better motto. Here are some tips for sizing up jobs around the house. Don't use a 25-foot tape for measuring for a 6-inch cut. Better to use a smaller tape that's easier to manipulate. To transfer your measurements to the surface of the material you're cutting, first press on the edge of the tape and roll it until the edge makes contact with the material. Then put the point of your pencil at the measurement and flick it up and to the right, and then to the left. That'll give you a mark that's very visible, yet small enough at the point to maintain accuracy. Also, keep a clear perspective on how accurate your measurements really need to be. For example, if you're cutting drywall, a quarter-inch gap isn't going to make a big difference. You can always cover it with tape and mud. Not so with wood trim, even though a little caulk goes a long way. And with clear finish woodwork, you'll need to be more precise. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. Thinking about buying a home or maybe just refinancing? Let the mortgage voice Jeff Barton guide you. And I think if people get the expectation going into the process, there's less likely to be freaking out at the end about what's happening. The Mortgage Voice, Saturday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at noon here on KCAA 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. KCAA, where every day is a great day. KCAA, Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Brother Mike Calhoun. Keeps me on my knees. <laughs> 
in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, we're going to see where Jesus was confronting the Pharisees. And you remember that in the, this particular confrontational passage of the Scripture right here, you have Jesus coming to the temple, there was a cursing of the fig tree, and then Jesus comes back to the temple. And you remember that there, he cleansed the temple. And it was just after this, and it had been mentioned already a couple of times before, that they were plotting on how they might kill him. And uh, all of this goes to the issue uh, that uh, all this goes to the issue of what was being taken away from the Pharisees, or they felt like was being taken away from the Pharisees. So, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter eleven, beginning in verse twenty-seven, Jesus' authority is questioned. Look what the scriptures say: that they came again to J Jerusalem, and as he was walking, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, "By what authority?" Are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question, and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they began to reason among themselves, reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we, but shall we say from men... They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. They did too know, but look how they answered Jesus. We do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Father, we pray that you help us to preach and teach correctly this morning in a way that will honor and glorify you, Lord. For uh, it's in your precious name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Early in the late, in 1899, a very, very famous English uh, poem came about called Invictus. And uh, it's been the source of many movies. Uh, it's a theme. Uh, but what it really goes to, this uh, particular poem, had to do with the unbroken human spirit. Um, it actually has a phrase, it actually has a phrase in there, It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And it actually personified, or it, it, it pictured English, uh, English might at that particular time, English fortuity, how strong they were as a people. And if you've ever heard uh, keep a stiff upper, upper lip, it actually comes out of this particular poem of Invictus about being self-reliant, I'm the captain of my own soul. I will not bend. Okay, but it's uh, there's actually a quote in there. Whatever God's it be, I thank you for giving me the, the kind of spirit I have for whatever God's it be. So it's not a, a tribute to per se how God helps us to persevere through particular trials. It has to do with the human spirit and in and of myself. So it's not a good poem from that standpoint for us uh, as Christians. And so it goes to human pride or human self-sufficiency. How many times have we heard the phrase, I'm a self-made man? Or we even today you'll hear a woman say, I'm a self-made woman. I did it myself. Um, this was reflected later on in uh, American literature, American uh, music. You might remember the old song uh, Frank Sinatra sang in 69. It was very popular. I did it my way. And it's actually, that's actually, if you Google that, that's actually a very popular um, funeral song. People have that song at the end of the, their life as a testimony. I did it my way. Again, this is not a good reflection uh, for us of what we understand being Christians and um, uh, acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Uh, if I might just reach up a little bit further, I might say there's a there's an indie band, which means an independent band, called Imagine Dragons. And uh, some very young people here might be familiar with that, but they had a song um, 
called It's Time. And the phrase in that song is, uh, can, when can you see I'm not going to change? When you, and it's the theme of the whole song, I'm not going to change. I, I mean, I, can't, I found this uh, song as I came through the house one day, and I thought it was a worship service going on. It was at a concert. And the way they were singing, I said, well, I think that must be a worship band or whatever. And so the kids had to come in and help me and educate Dad. I said, no, Dad, it's a band Imagine Dragons. And, and so I, I got curious, and I Googled the song and Googled the lyrics. It's got to do with doing what I want to do. You're never going to change me. I am the way I am. Nobody's ever going to change me. It goes to the heart of what's happening here. I mean, it's a long, it's a very old story about human beings, about people doing just what we want to do. And even getting to the end of our life and being unapologetic. I did it my way. I did what I wanted to do. That's what the Pharisees, that's how come the Pharisees are having a problem with Jesus and what it is that he is doing in the temple. You notice it was at Jerusalem. They come to the temple and the chief and priests and the scribes and elders came to him. The reason they're coming to him is they're coming to try to trap him. They're coming to try to trap him after the cleansing of the temple. And so the question was, by whose authority or by what authority? And so it's a criteria. Remember the criteria of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Remember what the kingdom proofs we talked about? That Jesus came and he spoke with authority, Mark chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, he confronted the demons. Uh, he confronted them in, in 1 and 25. We see physical healings. Those began in 1 and 31. Um, he raised up Peter's uh, mother-in-law, 1 and uh, 25. Uh, remember when he told in the storm, uh, in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, a great storm, had, and by his authority and his power, he tells this storm to hush. And then the entire chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark has got to do with him uh, confronting demonic forces. And he says to these demonic forces, um, uh, he, he confronts them. So what we're seeing here is a power struggle between the leaders that were concerned about their authority and what they wanted to do and keeping their power and this Jesus who had come and had been, had been preaching and, and had been giving signs of the kingdom. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. Those remember that the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders, they were supposed to have a certain task. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 and 2, there's a condemnation of the shepherds. And the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and this is what he said. The Son of Man prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus saith the Lord, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should they not, the shepherds, feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat of the sheep, feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not, the scattered, um, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for the lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field. And they were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth, and there was no one to seek after them. Oh, my goodness, what a powerful picture of the, the spiritual condition, not only of when Jesus came and performed his ministry, his powerful and wonderful ministry, but isn't that a picture of what's going on today to some extent? That people are lost. People are scattered. People are looking for a reason, for a purpose of life. And we as Christians know that that ultimate authority, that ultimate person, a reason for life, is found in a relationship with Christ Jesus. So what we're talking about this morning is a broad subject of authority, and it's in its basic use, exousia. You remember in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus said, all authority, that's the same word, exousia, 
It's been given unto me. Okay, and then that, that same authority that was given into Christ he, to, to be able to save mankind and do many other things that we're going to talk about in just a moment, that same authority, that, that authority exists today. That's what gave him the authority and the power to do all the works that he did uh, for a lost and dying world. Brother Mike, what are um, some examples? Well, as I've already mentioned, we see the, the power and authority to heal and also to expel demons. Um, in God, John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12, we see the authority to give freedom to people for salvation. Um, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, uh, verse 8, we see an example of the authority of God imparted to leaders to help build up the church. So when we think about the concept of authority, remember this is a very difficult uh, concept for people today uh, to deal with. It's becoming worse. It's got to do with lawlessness. Uh, what, gives the, what gives civil authorities to uh, protect the people, police officers, for soldiers? What gives, what gives the authority for them to have? What about your boss, the person that you work for? Is he your boss? Uh, you know, you would be surprised. I guess, I'm, I guess I'm old. You know, I guess I'm getting too old to some extent. But, you know, uh, Dad had, tried, had taught us, Mom did too, about, you know, not only teachers, but also when you went to work for a man, he was your boss. You did what he told you to do. And, and we are living in an age where people struggle. Nobody wants to be told what to do. And I tell you, there's protection in being told what to do. There's protection in being led by someone else. You're actually under a, an umbrella of protection when you go ahead and you submit uh, to that authority. Uh, I think what's happening a lot of times is that people don't even know that they are confronting God. When they come, when they have a, they're confronting authority or they're, they're wrestling with a particular issue, if they would think about the basic principles, um, they're like a lot of people we read about in the Old Testament. You remember in, in Genesis 28 when Jacob wrestled with the angel and he said, surely the Lord was here and I didn't know it. Or when Moses uh, met the Lord and he said, hey, who shall I tell them to send me? He didn't even know what to call him. He said, you just tell them I am had sent me. Or when Paul was on the Damascus road and he was struck blind and he cried out and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Who are you persecuting? I would submit to you this morning that a lot of people are struggling. They think they're struggling with a school teacher, or they think they're struggling with some authority or something that's over them, and you're really struggling with the Lord is who you're struggling with because God has divinely placed, he has biblically placed in our lives systems of authorities. And so that's our exposition. I'm going to give you six examples of that. Every person in this room, and according to scriptures, has been placed under somebody's authority. Can I get an amen? Weak amen. Okay. Listen, <laughs> everybody, every living soul has been placed to some degree under the authority of someone, somewhere, somehow. And bless their hearts, and I'm, I'm telling you, when I was growing up as a young man, there were different times I rebelled against authority, and boy, you know, you, you learn the hard way, don't you? We're all under masters. In Romans 13, 1 through 7, and you all know this, you, especially older Christians, know this, this is a very famous passage of Scripture. Romans 13, 1 through 7 says, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, where there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they, have opposed, they who have opposed will receive condemnation. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but evil. Do you, want to ha do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil... Be afraid, because they do not bear the sword for nothing. Did you catch that? They don't have that sword for nothing, okay? 
For it is the minister of God, an avenger who brings on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, that means not only because we fear what would happen if we go out and rebel against a particular civil servant, but also for conscience's sake. When you see a police officer, you see a soldier, oh my goodness, you know, I met people before and I would have such and such opinion about them, you know, I mean, I'd be trying to develop my thoughts about them a little bit and they served in the service or whatever and I go, oh my gosh, that's a whole new different level of respect I have. Because they went and served our country, some foreign field, were spent time away from their family, went to boot camp, did all, all of what that is, which I know nothing of. I, have, I did not serve in the military. But I have such an incredible respect for people who have served because they are doing exactly what this scripture has described. They may have thought they just went and saw a recruiter one day and then signed up, and it was something they did you know, for the service because it was something they just felt like they should have led to do. Uh-uh. I'm telling you, when you did that, you were filling a role of scripture. Police officers. We have a couple of three police officers. We have a bunch of firemen, different men who serve uh, our communities. Those are servants of the Lord. And Paul said in that passage, in this first example, that all persons are to be subject to that kind of authority. Are you like me when first time when I see a black and white rolling down the road, my heart jumps and I check my speed. <laughs> I'll come by that honestly, I really do. But uh, or do you think, oh, there goes a servant of the Lord? Okay, authority established. So one place, civil authorities. A second example of this is in our work ethics. Um, in Colossians three, chapter three, there's a passage that talks about husbands and wives. It talks about children. I'm going to address that in a moment. But there's a later section there, and it talks about, and, and even in slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord rather than men, knowing that from your Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Everybody say that with me. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. One more time. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Brother Mike, does that mean the scripture is talking about supporting slavery? No, not at all. But when the gospel was introduced in antiquity, and slavery was a widespread system around the globe in many parts of the world, the priority was not to free people at that particular time. It was for the gospel to go forth. And I dare say to you this morning that it was because the gospel went forth and changed people's hearts and changed society that slavery eventually did end. But even then, the priority wasn't the freeing of slaves. It was the freeing of men's souls. Okay? Okay, get to the point on this second point, Brother Mike. Okay, I will. The point is this. When you work for a boss, you work for And we all have stories. Okay? We all have stories. You're not just working for a boss. You're working for somebody the Lord has put you under. You're not really working for them. You're working for the Lord. If you have a bad boss, you are under compulsion to do the very best job you can be so that perhaps that person will see Christ in you and say, you know what, I'm really not a very good boss. I ought to be a better boss. I wonder what's different about Susie's life. I wonder what's different about Tom's life. And, you know, you might win your, you might win your boss. And if they're already Christians, at least they'll repent and they'll become a better person. Somebody please say amen. amen. I know how hard this is. It's, it's horrible having a bad boss. It is. But if you'll think, of, if you'll think about it, that person's authority, if you'll think about it, God has put you under their authority. And guess what? You live in America. You can quit. You can find another job. You can get another education. You can do something else. But don't make a bad witness for the cross. Because when I see you, and that's as a fireman, a, a lawyer, or whatever it is you do, when I see you, I see first a witness for Christ. And I see somebody who can have an impact 
for the gospel. Somebody say amen. That's point two. So in civil service or in, in submission in your work ethic, but also submission in your relationships. And this may be difficult for some of you, but you just have a problem with Scripture. You don't have a problem with me. In that same passage in Colossians chapter 3, it says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. Okay, there's a lot of things going on there. It's not a family, it's not a family message this morning per se, but there's a very important family point here. I think that God knew, I'm just I'm guessing, but I think that God knew not only in institutions and in the world system but also, and in the church, but also in families. There needed to be a leader. And it has nothing to do with whether one person is better than the other person. Um, I know a lot of couples and the wife, in almost every instance, the wife's smarter than the husband. That's not it. It's not about intelligence. I know a lot of couples where the wife's a better person. She said, I'm serious. I'm being serious. She's just a better person. But God has divinely said, said you know, you're, you're to set yourself under your husband's authority. You do that willingly. In fact, the, I'm not going to go into all the Greek, but the word, for, uh, the word for subjugation here or the word for being subject is actually hupotasso, uh, and it's talking about a willing sub, It's about a willing form of service, about a willing form of subjugation. And, yes, you're supposed to pray about things together. You're supposed, I think you're supposed to have equal input. But, uh, when it, guys, listen, when it all boils down, it's on you. It's on you whether your family goes to church. It's on you whether your family is being a house that is led of the Lord. It's on you. It's on you. It's on you because that's the way God designed it. You are to be the leader of that family. And a lot of families are failing because men are refusing or been, have been affected. Have been affected. I'll take that as an amen. Amen. <laughs> have been affected by the world system that says that nobody's supposed to be subject to anybody, but we are. Um, so in our relationships, as wives to husbands, children to parents, I know my age will really show here. Uh, well, my dad, I, oh my goodness, I miss my dad. I miss my daddy so much, and my mom too. And I wish that, you know, dad was a Christian, but he wasn't a very, he wasn't a really strong Christian, but he, for early in our life, he took us to church. The mom and dad fell out of church, so we were raised in church. But, you know, my dad was the boss of our house, and he was the boss of me. And um, he was kind, he was sweet most of the time, but you know what? When he said to do something, he did it. Paul, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? My dad said to do something, he meant to, to do it. And I think that's one of the best lessons parents can give to their children today is how important it is for them to be subject. Why, ladies, you, I, uh, sisters, you need to encourage your children about the, what your husband does, how he provides for the family, how God has said, God has said that he has put your father, your, my husband, your daddy, over this family. Teach them to respect them. Because they don't learn that lesson there. Then they have to learn it later on. And that's when, that's when Brother Jacob Smith or Travis Wiggins, that, then they have to come deal with us because we didn't learn that lesson earlier. Because they're, they're executors of civil authority. And so you either learn those kinds of lessons at home and with your parents, or life will teach you that lesson later on in life. Amen? Amen. So in the, in the marriage relationship with fathers and children, um, uh, and this all goes to, of course, the, even the subjugation or being subject to the righteousness of God. This is out of Romans 10 and 3. It's the exact same word, exousia. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And so um, 
the Jews, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, and the righteousness of God was Jesus. They wouldn't, the, the righteousness of God finally showed up for the Jews. His name was Jesus. And here we have them trying to kill him. They, I believe they were convicted and they knew Jesus was the son of the living God, but they wouldn't subject themselves to him. And if, if some of them didn't do that and they went ahead and died, they went to a devil's hell and they're still there today and they'll suffer for eternity. So we have to bring ourselves, we have to understand that there is exousia, there is authority, and we're to place ourselves under that subjugation. Uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul described this. Who, what all is under God's authority, under Jesus' authority? In 1 Corinthians 15 and 25, Paul said, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he... Uh, let me fix this real here. I'm burning up. All things are put into subjection. It is evident um, that he is expected to put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things uh, to him. Submission, civil and family relationships, uh, the general concept of subjection, and then also within the church. Here's Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I think that most I think that most church planners, I think that most missiologists and most church consultants would, would admit that in America particularly that this is a problem because people don't want to be on authority of anyone. I think America is having trouble with following leadership. If you don't believe that, look at the political system. You can even elect a person, put them in president, and they still won't they still won't follow the leadership. Uh, and it's just when that happens everything begins to break down. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what's happening in the civil world today. So in the church, uh, the Lord has set a pastor. A pastor is the person who leads the church. Uh, the church is supposed to follow his vision, follow his leadership. He puts people in positions. Uh, I'm just going to pick on her a little bit this morning, but, you know, I, I asked Miss Kendra Intrup to be uh, leader of our women's ministry, you know. Um, not because I came in and looked at a bunch of resumes or whatever. I just happen to know Kendra. I've known her for years. And so I asked her to do something for me, and I think she's blessed her church in doing that because she went ahead and said, yeah, Brother Mike, I'll follow under your authority and do this for you. And it's providing, you know, providing ministry. I'm looking for a man right now, somebody who'll step up and say, listen, I'll do the guys. I'll take the men's ministry and do that. And, you know, so that's leadership and then that exousia, that authority being passed down inside the church so that we can have church, so that we can be effective in our communities. You know, uh, slow down just a little bit. But, you know, a few years ago, I took a little bit of break from ministry. I took about a year off, and then when I came back, I went to, I was called to Lakeside Baptist Church over in Canton. And i got to tell you all, that was four of the sweetest years of my life. Brother Mark was our pastor, and I, I, I can't even describe to you. Where's Terry at? Brother Terry, it was so good to go to church at Lakeside, and it was on Mark. I mean, he's the pastor. All I had to pray about was what did Mark want to do and how did we get it done. And I did, I would had very degrees of success, but all I had to do was support my pastor. And it was great. See, most of my life I've been a pastor. I was saved, surrendered to preach six months later, a year later started pastoring church. I can't even remember being just a church member. But a few years ago, I got to be just a church member and I just did what Brother Mark told me. And I can't tell you how much I love that. 
And you know, um, while I was doing that, I met some men and women over there. They were, they were incredible people. Um, Johnny Blevins, Johnny and Marcy Blevins, some of you may or may not know them. I had to be careful what I said around Johnny and Marcy because they would go do it. I mean, they never said no the whole time I was there. And I had asked them, Jim Thornton, Jim and Beth Thornton. There was another couple. You would just mention that you needed something done, boom, they would do it. David and April McNabb. You may not know some of these names, but you just would say, I need somebody to do this. And they just got on it and did it. And, you know, it was, they just respected and said, look, your brother Mark's your pastor. He's asked you to help get this done. You just tell us what you need to do. Oh, my goodness. It is such a blessing. That's exousia. That's authority being passed down through the ranks so that we can get the gospel out to people and people get saved. Uh, the same word, exousia, brothers and sisters, this is what happens in your life. When you get saved, Romans uh, 10 and 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, we've forgotten that. Lord means that he's, he's Lord. That's God. And we subjugate ourselves to him. We follow Jesus. We do what Jesus says in our lives, in our marriages, uh, and in our church. And God is able to bless, to be able to bless because we will subjugate ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, Ephesians 5 and 21 how far can you take this? Well, I like Paul's description in Ephesians 5 and 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Every place you can find to serve someone else, considers others, consider other people more wise, consider them more smart, better looking, whatever you got to do, but consider yourself as a servant to them. When somebody, not just when somebody walks in as a visitor, but people we go to church with on a weekly basis, submit yourselves to them. See what God will do. He will bless that church that does that. I think that's why we're struggling in, the, in America today. I think that's why we're about to have a constitutional crisis. I think that's when, why many marriages are struggling. And I also think that's why a lot of churches are struggling because they don't properly understand the idea and the concept of exousia, of being of authority and putting ourselves under subjection to that. Well, Brother Mike, what if I don't do that? I'm almost done. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if I don't do that? Well, what if I just rebel? Decide I'm not, going, I'm not doing what anybody tells me to do. Well, here's a passage of scripture. Let me tell you what rebellion is. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. Paul is talking to Sam, Saul is talking to Samuel. He said, I did obey the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king Amaleks, of the Amaleks. And I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But now the people and some of the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord and, and God at Gilgal. He wasn't supposed to do that. 
He was supposed to destroy everything. And Samuel says to Saul, King Saul, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin, in the King James it says witchcraft. I got New American Standard, so it says divination. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and insubordination is, as an, is, is like iniquity, and from being king, oh, uh, and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. We take rebellion way too lightly. We take, when God is trying to tell you to do something, let me just throw a bunch of things out there. If God's telling you to join this church, then you need to join it. If God's telling you to go join somewhere down the road or do something, you need to, you need to do it. But you need to be in church. I don't even need to pray about that. I know God wants you in church somewhere. God wants you to serve on a committee. He wants to help, help grow this church. And you say, no, that's rebellion. God wants you to get along with your husband or your wife. And you just refuse to just because then you know it's just you. That's rebellion. That's witchcraft. A rebellious heart will lead, will lead to being more in line with the devil and his purposes and what he wants to do than being in line with what it is that God wants to do. And you had better be able to recognize rebellion in your own heart or you're going to be just like these Pharisees who were fighting God. And that's what someplace I don't want to be. In fact, I've prayed this prayer. I hadn't prayed it in a long time. I need to pray it and pray it seriously. But I said, Lord, if I ever get in the way of your will or your gospel, you, take me out. Don't let me be the reason because of my hard head sending somebody to hell, doing something I was supposed to do, being somewhere I was supposed to be. Don't let me do it. And I prayed that, I'll tell you, I prayed that before I came to Pruitt. I was scared of coming to Pruitt. My fear was that maybe God wasn't leading me to Pruitt. I, I had to really, really pray about it because I was afraid I'd come here. Somebody might miss heaven because of me. I said, Lord, please don't let me go there if I'm going to hurt somebody. If I'm going to hurt that church, Lord, please don't let me hurt that church. Rebellion is a, is a sin of witchcraft. And if you're sitting here this morning, and the, the very beginning spot is, if you're sitting here this morning and you know that you're supposed to be a Christian, you know that you're supposed to be saved, you need to be saved. Because that's the ultimate rebellion. You haven't said yes to Christ. You haven't placed yourself under his kingship, his lordship. Your mortal soul is in danger this very morning because you haven't been saved yet, and you need to be saved. And how we're saved is we repent of our sins, we ask Christ to come into our hearts, and we follow him for the rest of our life. Are we perfect, Brother Mike? No, none of us are perfect even after that. I've got his perfectness on me. I mean, the Lord's righteousness settles down on us. I'll make mistakes, but I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, and I can always come back to the blood, and it's okay. I'm covered, but you need to be saved. And for the rest of us that are here this morning, and this sermon, I, I don't know why the Lord wanted this sermon played out just exactly this way. But if you know there are some areas in your life and you're fighting God on it, remember Saul. Saul wouldn't have thought, Saul would not have thought. Guess who it was that put a spear in Saul at the end of his life? Some of you know, don't you? It was an Amicalite. The group that he let live, God told him to go kill the Amicalites and kill them all, wipe them completely out. But he let some of them live. There's some of, guess who it was that put a spear through him? It'll get you in the end. It'll get you in the end. Don't leave anything on the table. Lay your head down on your pillow at night with a clear conscience. That as far as you know, you've done all that you, you're supposed to do with the Lord. You're following him as, as closely as you know how to do. And live and be happy and be well. And all God's people said, let me pray for you.
Father, thank you so much for your word, dear Lord. And Father, thank you for speaking to me and convicting me about so many things in this passage here. And dear Lord, I like to think that I'm the one defending you and I'm the hero in the gospel that wants to believe you. But really, Lord, I'm a lot more like the Pharisee. I, I fight you. I resist you in different areas of my life. And I just ask you to please forgive me and give me a soft heart, dear Lord, that I wouldn't rebel against you or systems that you have put in this world for my good. Help me to remember that you know best. You know what's best for me and my wife and my kids and my grandkids. You know best, Lord. I don't know what's best. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Our question this morning is this. What makes a dynamic church? What makes a dynamic church? Is it location, location, location? Is it a great preacher? Is it a traditional music program or a contemporary music program or a blended music program? Is it great Sunday school? Great Sunday school leaders and teachers and programs? Is it generous stewardship? What makes a dynamic church? Is it beautiful modern facilities? Or is it just sweet fellowship among the people? What really makes a dynamic church? Well, let me just say that a great location can help, but it's not necessary. The preacher's fame or education is not the answer. I can tell you that for sure. The music program of the churches are as varied as the names and places. I always find it interesting observing the names of different churches. I still love the little church out by Canton, Little Hope Baptist Church. And there are as many New Beginning Baptist churches in the world as there are First Baptist churches, I think. Starting over, in other words, New Beginning. Is it the music program? Is that what really does it? Think about it. Some churches have pipe organs, and we get to go every once in a while over to Green Acres for their 4th of July presentation. They'll have a 100-voice choir or 100-plus voice choir over there. And it's, and it's gorgeous, and it's wonderful. But what about it? Is, it? is that what's required? What about the little church out in the country that has an upright piano and a volunteer song leader? What about the bluegrass gospel music? I, I love it. I, I love bluegrass gospel, but that doesn't mean that I don't love all the other music too. I love the old hymns because the old hymns are important to us. They teach us about the Word of God. They teach us about doctrine. It might be a church with a four-piece string band. I've attended some of those. Or maybe a 40-piece orchestra, and I've been to some of those. Or there could be a hundred other variations as far as music is concerned. And listen, is that what makes a dynamic church? I'm going to say no, it's not. Great Sunday school, generous stewardship, great facilities, all of those things can help, they can assist. Sweet fellowship, of course, is important, it's valuable, but that's not what makes a dynamic church. In fact, this church, I'm going to give you a history lesson. This church was organized under a tree in 1896. Under a tree, okay? Later, there was a brush arbor and an outhouse. Amen to the outhouse. 
The only instruments were the guitar or fiddle that were brought from home once in a while. They only had a halftime preacher. That meant he was here every other Sunday. But the Methodist church had a preacher on the opposite Sunday, so everybody went to church together. You're either at the Baptist church or at the Methodist church Sunday after Sunday. And that preacher was paid in homegrown vegetables and an occasional chicken. I hope we don't go back to that because not many of you have chickens or homegrown vegetables, right? The congregation stood or sat on hard homemade benches or maybe a stump or maybe a blanket that you brought from home. Unlike it is here, it was hot in summer and cold in the winter. Some of y'all complain about it being cold in the summer. Here, they were baptized in the pond right across the road most of the time. But it was, folks, and remains a dynamic church. Now, I know that there's maybe not a lot of people that stop to think about Pruitt Baptist Church being a dynamic church, but I want you to know it's a dynamic church. This is a dynamic church that you are a part of. And we're going to talk about what characterizes a dynamic church. And in doing so, we need to also realize that we need to protect and guard those characteristics. We need to do all, do all that we can to be sure that it continues on. I know that there's a lot of people think that uh, the only dynamic churches are the mega churches, the, the Preston World, Prestonwood Church, either way, or the Green Acres Baptist Church, or some of the other big churches. They're not the only dynamic churches. Listen, like I said, it can be a little bitty church out in the country and be a dynamic church. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 4, and just a couple of verses, beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but, uh, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want you to notice some things about this church. This was the first church of Jerusalem. On the day it was organized, notice what happened. That's found over in chapter 2, over in chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen, that's the day it was organized. I want to tell you the first church in Jerusalem, first church of the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem was a dynamic church on the day it was organized. In verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it was a dynamic church. And then Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. There were like 15,000 who were saved and baptized in the initial days of this dynamic church, the first church, first Christian church of the city of Jerusalem. I believe all would agree that it was a dynamic church. But I want you to notice what we're going to discover 
makes for that church to be the way it is, to be a dynamic church. It's there in those verses that we read earlier. The first thing, the first characteristic of a dynamic church is unity. It's unity. We read it in verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Folks, the value of unity in the body of Christ can never be overstressed. How important it is for us to be unified. We need to be of one heart. We need to be of one soul. We need to be of one mind. We need to have the same goals in mind for all of the people of the church. This church was born in unity. They all continued with one accord. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts 2 1 says they were all with one accord in one place. In Acts 4 32, as we read, the multitude were of one heart and of one soul. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12 5, we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Listen, folks, I want you to know we're together in this. If you're not together with us, then Let's talk to you about being saved so that we can be together in this. We're not to be out there destroying one another. We're to be out there helping one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all seek the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. He says we're to be together in this matter of serving the Lord. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are one body made up of many members. We are joined together for the purpose of fulfilling the Lord's great commission in our little corner of the world. God has given us an assignment. Our responsibility is to win every lost person to Jesus that lives around us. Not my words, the words of the Lord. I remember in some of the old time movies a long time ago, it showed slaves shackled to the oars down in the hull of a ship. At the voice of the taskmaster, they would all pull. Or they'd beat the drum and they'd all pull together. Now listen, it was critical that they all pulled together. They had to work together to keep the ship on course. One person not doing his responsibility. I think it's always interesting whenever we have a group come in to sing, you know, and they always want you to clap. I think it's always kind of funny that sometimes, sometimes when I clap, it's in between the time when everybody else claps. You ever notice that? You have to pull together. Otherwise, you get off course. And if you get off course, then you arrive at the wrong destination. Now, there's a neat lesson to be learned there because God has a destination for us. And I want you to know that He tells us that He's not coming back until everybody's had an opportunity to be saved. And so if we're not busy trying to help people understand their need to trust Christ, then we're not fulfilling our responsibility. We're not pulling at the right time. We're slaves to Christ, the Bible says. Pulling together in unity at His command is our responsibility in order for us to reach the desired destination. The first thing I want you to notice about this dynamic church was they were unified. The second thing I want you to notice is 
The Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They were unselfish. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. They were unselfish. Now, would you not agree with me that as human beings, we are naturally selfish and self-centered. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, preacher, everybody else is, but I'm not. <laughs> right? I don't, don't. Yeah, y'all are, but I'm not. No one has to teach a child how to be possessive and selfish. It just comes naturally. One of the first words a child learns is the word mine. We've had the twins since Friday afternoon. It has been a joy, but just this morning I heard one of them say to the other, that's mine. In other words, get your hands off. Now, kids are that way naturally, and I want to tell you something, we grow up with that. Sometimes adults are no different. After all, if you work hard on a project at work, you don't want anybody else getting credit for that, do you? I deserve the credit for that. And sometimes it doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really matter just so long as the job gets done. If you've bought something and paid for it, you don't want to have to share it with somebody else, do you? I bought some fishing lures to take with me on my trip. I bought them to share. But I brought extras so that I can share, you see. If you have something planned and a friend needs your help, what do you do? Make an excuse, don't we? We sometimes make an excuse. Whenever I visit folks, you know, and I ask them and I invite them to come to church, and they inevitably they'll say, I'll try. Do you know what the words I'll try mean? I won't. I won't. I won't be there. It's, it's a word, it's a phrase of non-commitment. You know what? We are naturally selfish. But the child of God whose heart is right with God, has the testimony of unselfishness. Unselfishness. You remember that famous verse in the third chapter of the book of John? Anybody remember that verse? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, the selfish thing for God to do was to save His own Son. And nobody would have blamed him if he had done that. Nobody would have blamed him. But that would have been the selfish thing. Rather, he looked at us unselfishly, and because he loved us, he chose 
to allow His Son to go to the cross, knowing that that was the only way that any of us could ever have forgiveness for our sins and eternal life. God's unselfish character is revealed for us so that we might understand the principle of God's love. He showed us His love unselfishly. This church was a dynamic church because it was unified, because it was unselfish, and because it was unreserved. Unreserved. Verse 31 said, They spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Folks, here's the answer to our question. The question from the beginning a dynamic church is one that is made up of believers who are unreserved when it comes to sharing their faith in Christ. Listen, we have a dynamic church because we have people who are willing to share Jesus. Because we have people who are willing to demonstrate their faith in God by the way they live their lives. Folks, being unreserved means being unafraid. Why should we be afraid? And yet I know that sometimes it happens to us why should we be afraid to share the greatest news, the greatest thing that has ever happened in our lives, you know? I mean, if I'm walking down the street out here and I don't think it's yours and I find a $10 bill, I'm going to say hallelujah. I'm going to let everybody know that I found a $10 bill. You know that? Because I don't think it belongs to anybody close by, right? Why is it that we can stand up and shout and testify about our favorite football team, about our favorite quarterback? Why is it we don't have a problem wearing our T-shirt that says Van Vandals on it, but we have a hard time telling people about our faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, everybody out there needs it, and we know they need it, so we've got to be willing to tell them, we need a church that is unreserved. Our problem is that we don't like rejection. Well, preacher, what if I go to that person, they slam the door in my face. What if I go to that person and they reject me, they get mad at me, or they hurl some evil statement at me, or they pick on me as a result of it. What if that happens? Well, there's a word in the Bible for you. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's what Jesus said. Because of your faith, listen, you're not ever going to fit in. Verse 2, you're not supposed to fit in to the lifestyle of the world. You've been saved out of the world. Folks, we're not chosen to be loved by the world, but to love the world unreservedly and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Somebody comes to you and asks you if you're a Christian, you're supposed to say, yes, and I'm proud that I am. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Listen, if you're acting strange to somebody, they're going to wonder what's wrong with you and maybe ask you. So act strange. Peter says we're a peculiar people. Peculiar. We're supposed to be different. 
Paul encourages us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, we're to stand. We're to stand proudly, not arrogantly, but proudly, and we are to stand unreserved. The Bible tells us that when you're clothed in the armor of God and, in, and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, you can boldly stand against the enemy of God. But if you're wishy-washy, then the enemy might sometimes have his way with you. The great evangelist Charles G. Finney once said, Since revival can never lay hold upon the world until it has first laid hold upon the church, the need is for the fountains of sin to be broken up in the church. Backslidden Christians must be brought to repentance. They must have their faith renewed. Before the world can be moved, we must renew the image of Jesus Christ in ourselves because it is vain even to call the church to love others when the church has ceased to love Jesus Christ. So what makes a dynamic church? I said we're a dynamic church. And we are. And I believe that. Because we are unified and because we are unselfish and because we are, this is the hard one, because we are unreserved when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just go be that. Just go be that. We need to commit ourselves to be committed to the task of proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. Father, I thank You for this day. And I thank You, Father, that You have preserved for us this Word of the Lord. That, Father, we might read and understand what it means for us to be the kind of church that You want us to be. Dear Father, I pray that if there's, if there's a problem with unity within the church, that God, You might reveal it to us as individuals and help us to make our commitments to You and make our commitments to one another that we'll be unified. And dear Father, I pray that You'll, that you'll speak to our hearts today and help us to remember that it's natural for us to be selfish but You want us to be unnatural. You want us to be a supernatural by being unselfish uh, because of the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray for courage. Dear Father, I pray that You'll help us to have the courage to take our stand, to represent Jesus, and show to the world that Jesus transforms our lives. Help us to reveal it by the way we live, but Father, help us also to be faithful to speak the Word of the Lord so that others might be saved. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now. I pray You'll save those who have not been saved, who have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith. And I pray, Father, that You'll call us to recommitment, to rededication. Help us to be reclaimed, as Finney has said. Help us to be renewed and refreshed and recommitted unto the tasks to which You've assigned us. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now and give us the courage and the faith to believe and to take our stand with Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. 
The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda, where you can always listen by phone. Just call 701-801-4444. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Everyone wants to live a long, healthy life. New scientific research is showing us how to do it. One of the keys to longevity may surprise you. We'll talk to an expert. So this has been around since the very beginning of time, and this is probably why all organisms, in one way or another, use it as a reset moment. Then, many people, particularly women, may feel negatively about their body and how they look to others. A recent study reveals a way to feel both stronger and thinner. There are concerns such as developing eating disorders, substance use. We know even broader than that, that there can be profound implications on a person's self-esteem if they feel negatively about their bodies. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this edition of InfoTrack. Stay with us. The show begins right after this. Jimmy John's Freaky Fast, Freaky Fresh. I'm calling because I saw one of your delivery persons today, and he was totally naked. Ma'am, I sincerely want to apologize for any... Fuck naked right there on the street. Ma'am, we're doing all we can to... And I say it's about on time. I know, and I'm gonna... Wait, what? The human body is a beautiful thing, don't you agree? Well, I... We've suffered the tyranny of clothing for way too long. Okay, but... So thanks, Jimmy John's, for going all natural. Actually, ma'am, it's our meats that are all natural. Say what now? Our meats are all natural. Wood smoked ham, choice roast beef, real fresh turkey breast, all natural and freaky fresh. So I don't suppose I can expect all natural delivery in the future. Uh, no. They say you shouldn't talk about going to the bathroom. So here at Charmin, we decided to sing about it. No ifs or ands, just cleaner butt. Charmin Ultra Strong, oh yeah. Ultra Strong gives me the cleaner than average Heine. It's super shiny. My Heine, so Charmin shiny. My Heine, so Charmin shiny. My Heine, so Charmin shiny. My Heine. We all go. Why not enjoy the go with Charmin? Allergy sufferers are hearing a lot of numbers these days about symptoms and relief. But the number sufferers want most is zero, as in zero nasal allergy symptoms. And nothing gets you closer to zero than Nasacort. Because unlike antihistamines that stop only one cause of your allergy symptoms, Nasacort stops more. And stopping more gets you closer to zero. For 24-hour relief of your worst nasal allergy symptoms, including congestion, choose Nasacort. It stops more of what makes you miserable. Use as directed. Only one event unites the world. The 2018 Winter Olympics. And there it is! Sean White double gold. Boy, does he deliver. See the world's best. Lindsey Vaughn is a gold medalist. And see the world at its best. To the finish, the Kalen Schifrin wins gold for the U.S. The 2018 Winter Olympics, coming February 8th, only on NBC. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. 
Here's your host, Chris Whitting. What are the keys to longevity? Why do some people seem almost ageless while others are plagued with age-related disorders? A top longevity expert reveals the secrets to a longer, healthier life. With more, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Dr. Walter Longo, director of the Longevity Institute at USC in Los Angeles and the author of a book called The Longevity Diet. So, Dr. Longo, before we get to your diet and lifestyle recommendations, how long do you believe the average American lifespan should be today if we took the proper steps? I think it could be maybe 90 years of age. Which is an improvement of what? It's about 10 years or so. So you've conducted research for years into longevity. You've zeroed in on fasting as being one of the keys. Why is that so helpful? Well, fasting seems to be a way to reset the body, both at the cellular level and inside of the cell. And it may very well be the most powerful way to do this, particularly in a coordinated way. This has been around since the very beginning of time, not for human beings, but for any organism. So bacteria mostly spend their life during starvation, and so do baker's yeast, for example. And so this has been around 